Isn't that the truth, huh? Amen. Turning your Bibles, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Just as you're turning there, I'll just ask the Father to just again speak to our hearts now, Lord, as we look into your word. I want to thank you that we have a, as Jenny said uh, and sang, a, a caring God. There's no one else that... Um, cares for us like you do, Lord Jesus. We want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for the care that you've given us just to have your word uh, preserved and uh, kept for us so that we can learn from it and by it. And we just pray that today you'll speak to our hearts again and we'll uh, not just be hearers of it, but uh, Lord, by the power of your spirit, be doers. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this morning on the subject of appreciating one another. In Ireland, as Dean said, we lived, the way you pronounce that word was appreciating one another. In America, we say appreciating, but I want to address that subject. And there's a wonderful passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that just addresses this whole issue of the body. We're not only going to just be looking at the metaphor of how Paul refers to us as believers as the body of Christ, but also... Briefly, the subject of us, as we're also called the family of God. And then thirdly, as time allows, to look at the subject that we're also referred to as soldiers. Now, we may gravitate more toward the other, but the Bible calls all of us these descriptive words as a collective group of people. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and starting with verse 12. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. Verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would be the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, It is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. When we lived overseas, as as Dean again referred to in in Ireland for those 11 years, one thing that uh, we had probably taken for granted when we lived in California before we moved was just this wonderful blessing of sunshine. 
we were in Palm Springs last week and Cindy had a conference that she was attending for insurance. And in Palm Desert and in that area, it just seems like all they ever have is blazing hot sunshine. And if you live in a climate where you only see the sun as we did in Ireland maybe a couple of times, maybe a month, especially in the winter, you really begin to appreciate the sun. I remember the saying was when we lived in Ireland, was that was our summer on Tuesday or Wednesday? And if it, depending on how it was, that might be it. I remember one November that it, we didn't see the sun for an entire month. It was just cloudy the entire time. And it, the temperature stayed the same, 41 degrees. And it was just that pretty much the whole month. And with back in those days when coal was the way you heated your home, there was just this blanket of cloud and of coal smoke all throughout the city of Dublin. Another thing we sometimes do is, is we take each other for granted, though, don't we? You know, we're just we're kind of around, and uh, we've seen each other maybe for a number of years, or maybe in some cases we've only known each other for a while, but once in a while we take the body of Christ for granted. We kind of forget the special union that we have. Reminds me of a letter that was received. This woman was writing, and she said, Dearest Jimmy, to her boyfriend, she said, No words could ever express the great unhappiness I've felt since breaking off our engagement. Please say you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart. So please forgive me. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yours forever, Marie. P.S. And congratulations on winning the state lottery. It's an amazing blessing, isn't it, and a benefit that when you, we become believers and we have this relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we also become part of a new community. This is what the book of Acts is talking about, the church. And when you become a Christian and when I became a Christian, all of a sudden, not only did we receive the Savior and a wonderful Heavenly Father, but now we have all of these brothers and sisters now, for some of us, maybe we don't have, a, haven't had a brother, haven't had a sister. Maybe in some cases, truth be told, the relationship with our brothers and our sisters and our natural family hasn't been what it could and should have been. Some of us have had wonderful relationships, and that's great. But the special thing is, is when you become a believer, all of a sudden you become part of this family of God. And really interestingly enough, when you start reading through Paul's letters in the New Testament, you realize that so much of our growth as Christians is really derived from our relating and relationship with one another. You really learn in one sense your love for one another by being around those people that you have to love. Even, dare I say, the unlovely, which might even be one of us here in this room together today. And we learn how to be humble. And we learn how to not be selfish. And we learn how to be more patient and how to be tolerant and forgiving and gracious and kind and all of these things that are the fruits of the spirits. And much of this is borne out as we're rubbing shoulders, not only with each other here in this room today, but also when we step outside the doors and we're amongst those maybe who are lost and don't know the Savior. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that the church is the result of two profound spiritual unions which have just these incredible implications. Verse 12 and 13, our union with Christ, how we've been joined to him. We've been baptized into one body. We've been placed into the body by the Spirit when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ. And now verse 12 also goes on to says that as the body is one and yet has many members, 
and all the members of the one body, though they are many, are one body. And it kind of gets a little bit of a tongue twister as you start reading through it. And he's going back and forth, kind of mentioning this whole thing about members, the metaphor of the human body and the members of it and the body. And he's going back and forth. But the big idea that you get this morning is we're members of the body of Christ. Paul also said in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, he said, Just as there are many parts to our bodies, so it is with the, Christ, with the body of Christ. We are all parts of it, and it takes every one of us to make it complete. For we each have different work to do. So we belong to each other, and each need all the others. And this is really the truth, isn't it? Can you imagine trying to live the Christian life as wonderful as it is with the Lord alone, there is something comforting, isn't there, by being with each other and having each other as a support and as part of that family. It'd get kind of lonely on this side of heaven if we only just had ourselves and the Lord and we were on some desert island. It's an extra blessing that he gives us each other. And I trust that we see each other in that light. And all believers share, and this is the awesome thing, isn't it? We share this common life in Christ. We, we're, we're different in a number of ways. I'm sure not all of us like the same restaurant. Not all of us like uh, the same places to go on a vacation. Not all of us, you know, uh, drive the same car. I remember when I first started coming here, it was the Ford Windstar van. Well, I've moved on from that. But I remember how many Ford Windstars there were. We don't all drive the same car. But we all share this one thing in common. And it's our life in the Lord Jesus and the amazing thing about it is, if you think about it, we're in fellowship with literally thousands of believers all over this world. Today, with time zones and so forth, there's been a number of believers before us, and there'll be some who are after us, have been worshiping the Savior today. And you, you see your local body here of brothers and sisters, of those of you who know Jesus, and you look around, and this is your local body. But there's also this universal body that's in different cities, different states, different countries, and it's a massive number. And no doubt about it, there are many differences that are among us. There's some disagreements even about the way to do things. I always remember Bill McDonald writing, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And so among this believer, there's among these believers... We do things different. We have different order of services. And yet, there are those thousands and thousands who truly love the Lord Jesus. And you know, one day, maybe not too much longer, we're all going to be together. I mean, it kind of blows my mind away when I think of how large a crowd is it. You know, you sometimes just think a mass of people, you know, it's some huge event. It's probably not as large in some respects because Jesus says the gate is narrow of those who find it. And the road to destruction is broad and many are on it. But nonetheless, there are just so many before us and so many even after us when we leave this earth that Jesus tarries who are going to come to know the Lord. And you may be thinking here today, well, I kind of like to have residency in heaven next to one of somebody I know here. You know, it's kind of like when you go camping, you want to be with somebody you know. Do you know if they snore or not and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, kind of who to want to be around if you have to be in a campsite or whatever. Kind of know everybody's preferences, but who knows where God's going to have us all? You know, what cities we may be responsible for and, and so forth, and just where we're going to be serving. We belong to each other. 
And as Paul's writing on here, each member of the body needs all the members. I remember my friend in, uh, Philip in Dublin sing, saying this phrase, uh, everybody is somebody in Christ's body. And it really is the truth. What Paul goes on to say in verses 15 to 20 is, is this saves us from two dangers if we understand that everybody, look at yourselves here if you know Christ today, is somebody in Christ's body. It protects us from two dangers. It protects us from belittling or, if you like, cutting down ourselves and thinking that whatever gift it is God has given us is of no value. And it also protects us from cutting down or belittling or criticizing others who may be different from us, a different member in the body, because we all need each other. For our physical bodies, as he's been going on and laboring the point, and I think we got it, for it to be normal and, if you like, a healthy functioning body, there needs to be diversity. That's what he was saying. You can't just have one big eye be the body. Imagine how scary that'd be. <laughs> It'd be like a science fiction freak show. You know, it'd just be too scary to even look at. You'd want to change the channel. Verse 15, he says, it'd be crazy for the foot to feel unimportant because it can't do the work of the hand. You think of the value of, the, of our feet and you think of the value of our eyes and of our ears and just how significant all the diversity is in the members of the body. And he goes on to say in verse 16, it's also true of the ear. If the, ears, if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And we appreciate these ears, these human ears that God's given us, don't we? And when we start to not be able to hear you realize just how much you value these members. Got off the airplane last week and we flew down to Palm Springs and uh, I don't know what it was, the cold or whatever, but both Cindy and I just really couldn't hear. And we were like driving going, huh, what? You know, was in our rental. And it was like, well, this is what it could be like in another 10 years or 15 years. But it was just a little bit of that airplane thing. And we're like, what? You know, I can't hear. And then we got to the hotel, the person was speaking to us and we were like, I'm sorry, what'd you say? You know, what'd you say to the person? And it took a couple of hours for it to all settle itself out. You know what I mean? You realize when one part of your body, all of a sudden that you've been relying on, goes uh, out of service, you just realize how much you appreciate and how much you've missed it. Paul says, as he's inspired by the Spirit of God, that each member, each of you, is as important as someone else. And we ought to be thankful, just as he desires, it says. This is where God has placed each of us. We ought to be thankful for where God has placed us. This is how you avoid this issue of being discontent. God has given each of you who know the Lord some special place where he wants you to serve here in this local body. And I'm telling you, even though you may not think it, when we're not functioning as a healthy member of the body, someone is suffering as a result of it. You might think, well, it just really only relies on a couple of people. And the rest, I can just be kind of like that football scenario, you know. Watching 24 players who are in desperate need of exercise, or sorry, of rest, while there's 60,000 who are in desperate need of exercise. And you think, you know what, I'm going to be one of the fans who's the one that just is watching but never participating. And, we, and the body of Christ needs every member to be not absent without leave, or not on a sabbatical that goes way past what it should, but to where you're actually functioning. And you're saying to God, where is it, Lord, that you want me to serve? Where is it that you want me to be helping this local church? 
He knows what he's doing, where he's placed you. So not only should we be content with where it is that he's placed us, no matter what we do and whatever he's called us to do, it also keeps us from cutting down others. And I wish I could say that in my experience as a believer for 32 years that I never have fallen into that trap. I would be lying to you if I said I have never criticized or cut down another member of the body. I I have. And Paul says we shouldn't do that because I need each member in that local body that is serving me as well. I need each one. They, he says in verses 21 to 25, there's no place for any member of the body that said, I have no need of you. I can do this myself. We can't. The eye can see things that need to be done, but it can't do it. I was thinking over the last couple of years, I've had a number of things done over the house where a guy gutted our bathrooms and he did this, that, and the other, and even to the point of where I felt like I needed him to... I changed my smoke detector, but it wasn't quite as bad as that. I could do that. I can do that. But when it was all these other things around the house, one day he came up to me and goes, you know what, it's kind of a good deal we got going here because he's been over like three different times. And he said, you know, you work more overtime and then you pay me to do the work. And in a way, he was kind of right. I felt like my contribution is is I'm going to work a little bit more and I'll pay him to do the job the way it needs to be done. And I could see what needed to be done. Crown molding we wanted to have in our living room or this, that, and the other. But I'll tell you, I would still be looking at how to do it if he hadn't done it. I could see what needed to be done and I could see a job being done right. But I didn't, I knew I did not have the skills to do that kind of work. I was at uh, Target the other day getting a a dresser drawer for our youngest daughter and the other one was an IKEA product and it basically just collapsed and, uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to upgrade a little bit and go to Target. <laughs> and uh, bought this dresser drawer, and it's, I opened it up on Thursday night with Katie with me, and we said, okay, we're going to build this thing together. And uh, pulled out the box, which was incredibly heavy, which was a, should have been a warning sign. There's more to this than I realized. Uh, and I opened up the directions, and there were like 29 steps. And I thought IKEA was a little bit difficult at times. This was triply difficult. And Katie looked at it, and I looked at it, and kind of set it down. And Laura, our other daughter, her fiancé, they were downstairs. And I, basically, we both shouted almost at the same time, Matt! You know. <laughs> and thankfully, he was very gracious. He came up, looked at it, and uh, at, that was at 8.30. And by 12 midnight, we were done. And both of us were both taking part, but I did not and could not think this project through of all of these crazy steps it was asking me to do. He could. I saw what needed to be done. I saw how the box looked on the outside and said, okay, this is how this thing is supposed to look. (laughs) But I wouldn't have had a clue. And I'd be still here today, I think maybe on step six. (laughs) And I'd be talking to you about how a project hadn't been finished. Right to the very end, we were putting in all the last drawers, and on the fourth drawer, it didn't work. And we realized that we had this little piece like this that was upside down and needed to be flipped this way. In order for that to happen, though, we had to take apart about a quarter of what we had done in order to put it in right. And so as the dresser drawer is coming down, it dropped onto my toe. And immediately, I felt the pain of what happens when the foot can't function properly or the toe. Thankfully, then, we were able to put an L wing on that thing, the shelf that had collapsed as a result of falling onto my foot, and all got done right. 
I saw what needed to be done, but thankfully there was another member there that could come alongside and help me out and get it done. So I'm really glad that she's engaged to a guy that's a handyman. I have more work and jobs aligned for him, believe me. Paul goes on to say that some parts that seem weaker, as well as we read here, and they seem to be the least important, are really the most necessary. Think about it. You know, we, we look at, when we look at our, our, our human body, we see, you know, the arms and uh, we see the legs. You know, we see our, you know, six-pack or if we have one, two-pack, whatever it is. We see the stuff on the, on the outward and it gets, if you like, these parts of the body get notoriety. But the things like the kidney, the liver, the brain, you know, the stuff that's going inside this amazing body that God made, we don't, we don't see it. It's covered up. But you know what? You can live without an arm. It's difficult. And even through now with the kinds of uh, surgery, how you can have the types of, uh, you could even have no arms. You could have the difficulty of having to have, you know, mechanical or whatever the right word for it is. But imagine, if you don't have a kidney, you can't live. And the interesting thing about the church and God's just wisdom in it is sometimes people think it's the person like this or myself who's up here doing this. This is, the, this is what is the most important thing. And it, while it's important that you have the preaching of the word, there's so many things going on behind the scenes. I don't know how many times that I'm here over the last several years I see a dear brother vacuuming, you know, and I'm here still yakking and chatting with you, which I love. And there's somebody vacuuming. Well, somebody's got to do that. You know, somebody's doing the, the sound back there and, and everything else. And you think of all the hospitality and you think of all the different acts of kindness and serving that really maybe nobody really knows. It might seem like the least important job, and yet it's incredibly important. You who are praying for others here in the body, you who write those emails of encouragement or make that phone call or nowadays text them an encouragement to someone, huge importance. You who greet somebody and say hello and how are you by name and you show concern to visitors may never get much notoriety, but how hugely important it is. You think, for example, of our government, senators, and no disrespect to them, but senators and, and our Congress uh, men and women. If they went on strike for three weeks and they basically said, we're just shutting down, we'd say, Wow. The, the heads, how are we going to manage? What if we had our garbage collectors go on strike for three weeks? And now I'm talking about across the entire country. Imagine what would happen and what would be a concern from health issues and all of that if we didn't have garbage collectors for three weeks. Who's more important? Body of Christ, the insignificant ones are urgently and greatly needed and appreciated. Verse 23, yes, and another way to translate this, we are especially glad to have some parts that seem rather odd. <laughs> and they do. And we are careful to protect from the eyes of those, those parts that should not be seen. Romans 12.10, Paul says, Honor one another above yourselves. And the point being, when someone else is honored, we should be happy because that part of the body belongs to us. And we belong to it. And isn't that a contrast in the church? That's how it ought to be. But in the world situation, often those who are being honored, those who are being recognized, 
those members, if you like, of a corporation or whatever, usually then the knives come out, you know, and there's jealousy and there's envy and there's people saying, why didn't I get the promotion? You know, why are they getting it? I'm more qualified than them. You know, and then on and on and on. And some people really resent it. Yet in the body of Christ, when one of the members here uh, does something right and is honored, then the rest of us as co-members of the body of Christ should be saying, yes, praise God. Wonderful. Shouldn't be like, oh, how come not me? Well, I wish it had been me. So one of our problems, I think, sometimes is, and God help us to grow in this is, and to grow up in this, is we think of ourselves individually rather than members of the body. And we kind of have this idea that, and maybe some of us more than others, we have to kind of change our thinking, and God has to, is that we, he, he doesn't want us to be individual, individual um, can't say the word now, individualistic. You know what I mean by that word. <laughs> he doesn't want us just to be individuals who lose our identity, but he wants us to be those who are interdependent on each other. We have a sense of, I need you. As opposed to, hey, I can go it alone and I can do this all by myself. The key why this is so important that we understand this is because our behavior as a collective body of Christ makes a difference to a watching world. They see the good when they see us as believers loving one another, in sync with each other, loving our Savior, having a spirit of humility and a relationship with each other, that's a powerful testimony to a watching world. Someone who doesn't know Christ comes in and sees this kind, whether it's in this room or in another facility, they see this kind of relating. They're saying, what's going on here? This is unusual. I happen to play a softball team on Monday nights to help coach it. And it's just kind of an interesting thing. We have about 17 players. Not all know the Lord. A number of about half of them, uh, I would say, out of the 17 don't. Well, it's interesting for them to watch how do we play softball, you know, when the ump makes a bad call, you know, are we, you know, just resorting to going over there like some, maybe some other league and kicking dust and, you know, throwing, you know, dirt at them and losing the language and everything else and getting upset? How do we handle defeat when we were ahead like eight runs in the last inning and then end up losing it by one run? And we have to go do that thing where you walk over to each player and you have to say, good game, good game, good game. Good game, good game, good game. And then you have to exercise good sportsmanship. Well, if that's in the power of Christ and that's how we're behaving, they're watching that. They're watching that kind of interaction that believers are having with each other. Verses 25 and 26, Paul also says something about the members of the body, the human body, is is that they have concern for each other. And it raises the question, you know, what is our attitude toward a fellow believer who has fallen. So often what happens is as we become critical. We may even end up in this scenario over the years I've noticed where we might, and I say we, I'm talking about the universal church of God, of Christ here, is we maybe become gossipers. And as Galatians 6.1 warns us not to become, we actually get a little self-righteous. We say, you know what, what that brother or sister did, we almost, we may not have the courage to say it, but we might think it. I would never do that. How dare they? How could they? And you want to be really careful. 
if that's what you say. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Look to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And in a situation in that situ- where that occurs is we can be showing our concern by saying, you know, I'm praying for you, and I want to see you restored. Imagine the nose saying to the ear, hey, did you hear about the problem the foot's having? You know, isn't that too bad? I wish that knee knew what a stumbling block it was, you know, and would get its act together. Body doesn't act that way. Body cries out when the foot's hurt, as I well know, or my middle toe from Thursday night. My foot hurts. And the rest of the members of my body triggered up to my brain and it realized it. And there was, I felt like these powers within the body that were trying to address the issue and trying to help me as opposed to be criticizing the fact that the toe hurt. Why does the whole body hurt when only one part is injured? Because all parts of the body make up this indivisible whole. Rather than attack that suffering toe or ignoring the problem, hey, there's really no issue here going on whatsoever, even though I see skin torn off and blood gushing out, the body demonstrates concern for that part that hurts. That endorphin, that wonderful chemical that God has created, that painkiller for the brain. It's all going into operation when something's happening to our body. So how do we show support? How do we show, uh, provide comfort when something's happening? We show concern as members of the body. And then secondly, and we'll move quickly through these, another, uh, if you like, identity or group that Paul gives to help us understand what it means to appreciate one another. Not only as members of the body, but it's also the fact that he calls us in Ephesians 3.15, the family of God. Paul prays to the Father. He says he prays to the Father of all of the great family of God. And you can read the New Testament and you see this over and over that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you think about brothers and sisters in the natural sense, maybe it hasn't always been the way it should be in this area, but one of the things that Jesus calls us to as brothers and sisters and what should characterize us is one is affection. Remember that wonderful verses in John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new commandment I give to one another or to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you. And he goes on to say that the world is going to know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And really, when you think about this and you want to put some feet to this, when you walk out here this morning, you say, well, how do I show that? Well, I want to suggest first you can say it. You can say it. I remember a secular song a number of years ago even pointed out this difficulty that we have sometimes where the writer said, I love you. Is that all you can't say? Years gone by and still words don't come easily like I love you. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter was kind of fumbling around in his response to that. But he asked the question. C.S. Lewis said, on the whole, God's love for us is much safer subject than to think about our love for him. But we can tell him, we can tell each other that I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. Paul did this. He said in Philemon 1.8, he said, for God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. 
Colossians 4, 7, referring to Tychius, he says he's our beloved brother. I got a text message this week from one of our leaders in our fellowship who basically said in his text, love you, my friend. Went on to say a couple of nice, really just encouraging messages in a text about expressing affection for me. And it was precious. It's not something that I think I'm going to experience from somebody who doesn't know the Lord in that kind of way. In my family, yes. But among coworkers, probably not. But among the body of Christ, there's that kind of love that we have for one another because God has given his love to us. When was the last time you said it? Then, of course, Scripture talks about this over and over again about how we are to show it. There's a story about a newspaper columnist, and he was a minister as well. His name was George Crane, and he tells of a wife who came into his office full of hatred toward her husband. She said, I do not only want to get rid of him, I want to get even. And before I divorce him, I want to hurt him as much as he has me. So Dr. Crane suggested in this kind of a ingenuous plan, go home and act as if you really love your husband. Tell him how much he means to you. Praise him for every decent trait. Go out of your way to be kind, considerate, and generous as possible. Spare no efforts to please him, to enjoy him. Make him believe you love him. And after you've convinced him of your undying love and that you cannot live without him, then drop the bomb. Tell him that you're getting a divorce. That'll really hurt him. With revenge in her eyes, she smiled and exclaimed, Beautiful, beautiful. Will he ever be surprised? And she did it with enthusiasm, acting as if. For two months, she showed love, kindness, listening, giving, reinforcing, sharing. And when she didn't return, Crane called. Are you ready now to go through with the divorce? Divorce, she exclaimed. Never. I discovered I really do love him. (laughs) Her actions had changed her feelings. And I love this. Motion resulted in emotion. The ability to love is established not so much by fervent promise as often repeated deeds. Think of the countless acts that we can do to one another and for one another that show our love. And another thing that, you can sh- that shows, and it's a wonderful quality in the family of God, is acceptance. Usually in a family, a healthy family, one that's not a dysfunctional family, I don't know if there's any healthy families left very much out there in the world any longer, pretty much a lot of dysfunctionalism, but it's a wonderful thing to be accepted in the family, isn't it? That kind of place where you can go home and you can take off your shoes and you can put, hopefully not put your feet up on you know, where it shouldn't be, but you can put, uh, relax, let your hair down, so to speak, because you're home. That sense of acceptance. Paul says in Romans 15, 7, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Think about Zacchaeus, this guy that everybody hated, that small little man. He was a tax collector. He was those kind of people, guys that people hate. And yet Jesus says, you know what, I want to have a meal with you. And he showed that kind of acceptance. Imagine, remember the woman caught in adultery. How many people wanted to stone her? And yet he said, you know what, uh, don't sin again, but I forgive you. And he talked and treated her with compassion. And it, she responded so wonderfully to it. When we experience acceptance, 
And then it allows us to be honest and to share blessings and victories and, dare I say, even failures and discouragements. And sometimes over the years I've noticed the tendency in my own life, and I've seen it in others as well, is that we get a little bit experts at cover-up. We get a little superficial. We, we hide. We put on a mask. We, we don't want others to necessarily know that maybe we're struggling and that we are discouraged about something and that how we walk in on Sunday isn't necessarily how we really feel, and so we start to get more superficial and cover up, and that's a shame. That's never what it was about. We need to accept one another just as Christ has accepted us. It's a little risky to do that. It, we learn from each other. I don't know how many times I've been in situations and someone's just been honest and it's been an appropriate time to say, hey, I'm struggling with something. And then from that, there's, a, there's, a, there's opportunities to share and you learn from each other. But sometimes as believers, if we all go around as though we have arrived and everything is perfect, and that's going to be a shame because somebody may not realize how you learn as you're going through struggles. Accept one another, just as Christ also accepted you. And then lastly, as time's out, not only are we members of the body that we should appreciate and we're the family of God, but also we're soldiers. Maybe we don't really like that phrase as much, but Second Timothy 2, 3, Paul says to Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We even sing the song. We don't sing as much maybe anymore in Christian circles, but onward Christian soldiers. And the whole concept, you know, we're also called athletes and so forth, but in this corporate sense, we're soldiers. Someone has said, we're all aware of the devil's existence, but we're blind, naive, and unaware about the reality of spiritual warfare and the nature of the enemy's tactics. And he went on to say, much of the church's warfare today is fought by blindfolded soldiers who can't see the forces ranged against them and who are buffeted by invisible opponents and respond by striking one another. Kind of a ragtag army when we're doing that. We're in this battle together until the Lord takes us home. And two very quickly, two very things that soldiers do is they defend, they defend and they depend on each other. One of my daughters, I think soon to be fiance, the second, I got possibly two weddings next year, the nightmare scenario looks like it's coming true, but um, he was in the Marines for four years as a close. And I was just talking to him, you know, over the last few months and quite intrigued by the whole situation of uh, what it's like to be in battle. And he was in Iraq and he was in a convoy one day of 300 Marines and a roadside bomb went off. And they have this kind of uh, maneuver where they kind of like a crossbow where they're just, I forget exactly what they call it, but they were moving like this to try and avoid the impact. And one of the convoys rolled over. And they thought that they had rescued everyone of that uh, brigade or whatever. It wasn't probably a brigade, but just that group of 300. And they went back to camp and they realized one was missing. And then they went back to the site. And as they were going through this town in northern Iraq, they saw that soldier hanging, uh, had been shot and executed and was hanging in the town square. And he felt so bad, and he said, you know, that's just the difficulty of soldiers. We're, we're to defend and depend on each other, and, and we let another soldier down. He was alive more than likely in the van, but when the enemies came, they took him, and then they killed him at that point. And as we know, it's, it's part of the sad thing of being casualties in and, and a war and wounded soldiers 
And in the Christian army, we want to be there for each other, don't we? We want to be depending on each other, as 1 Corinthians 12 says. We want to be depending on each other, not in the sense of excluding Jesus, but Jesus has given us each other so that we're there looking out for each other. I remember when we lived in, North, in Ireland, we'd go up to Northern Ireland, and back in the times when the troubles were occurring, uh, with all the violence that was happening in Belfast and so forth, you never saw one soldier just walking in the streets of Belfast alone with his or her AK-47 or whatever else they were carrying. You always saw two. One was walking like this, and the other one would be walking like this. And they were walking like that together, and they were constantly looking 360, watching around them for any kind of sniper fire. So as believers, we should be there looking out for each other, watching out for the enemy's tactics of what he's doing and be there for each other. Just in closing, and I love this quote that I I came across. Remember putting your face above a headless frame painted to represent a muscle man, a clown, or even when it was a person in like in a bathing suit? And many of us have had our pictures when they're taken that way with this figure and you put your face in. Maybe it's been like a cowboy. And the reason why it's a humorous photo is, is because the head doesn't look like the body. It's completely distorted. The writer said, if we could picture Christ as the head of our local body of believers, would the world laugh at the misfit? Or would they stand in awe of a human body so closely related to a divine head? Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you that you have given us each other. I want to thank you for the blessing of brothers and sisters in Christ and just for the witness that is to a watching world when we are behaving as we ought. We just pray for us to grow in our appreciation and in our love for the wonderful work you've done in giving us the body of Christ. I want to thank you that you're the head. We acknowledge you as such. And we just pray that this coming week, even as we have fellowship together, that, Lord, there will be just that awesome pleasure that you'll be happy because two or three have gathered together in your name and that there might even be power in the sense of us all being working together, serving together. We pray that we as a group of your people will go out even uh, in this area of San Ramon and be a shining light for those who don't know you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.